It is Wednesday, October 24th. The boys are back in town, and the midden is riding high as the Pure Podcast returns for its second season and sixth episode. Just like the 2018 Wolverines, House and Zolo are back and better than ever. Today's pod, brought to you by ZipRecruiter, features recurring guest Ryan Rock O'Connor joining me as our first in-studio guest as we dive into the promising start of Big Blue's 2018 campaign. Then, making his first appearance on the pod, we'll be joined by Scotty Dubs, a.k.a. the Traveling Diehard, a.k.a. Wicker Wilson, as he calls in from Cincy to break down a Detroit Lions team very much in the hunt for the NFC Norris Division title. It's time to keep it lit for the mitt on the only podcast made for diehards by diehards. Let's go. Let's go. Yes, sir. And this place is special to me. It's special to the guys that I played with. It's special to the guys that played before me because we love Michigan. Swinging a fly ball. Left field and deep. It's way back. The Tigers are going to the World Series. Yes, sir. One man. Fans from around the great state of Michigan. Blue line chance. Home of the Wolverines, the Bad Boys, the Red Wings, and the Honolulu Blue. The team, the team, the team. It's time for the PMP. It's time to go to work. Giants up for Detroit, a lovely city. Back to the Pure Podcast, back better than ever. Boys back in town. I'm Hal Smith in the studio with Ryan Rock O'Connor, and as always, my co-host Mike Palazzolo. How you doing, Mike? Oh, doesn't it feel good, guys, to be on as state champions? I'm doing great today. <laughs> it really does. It really does. You can't really go much longer than I'd say about a half hour without thinking about it. How's this? Yeah. How's the last few days been for you, buddy? You know, Michigan gets a win. They finally get that win against the ranked team on the road. I mean. I had someone come up to me at work and ask me if I was aware that Michigan had not beaten a ranked team on the road since 06. Oh, 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 yeah, I guess. Um, all those stats, a lot to love about this game. Okay, so I guess first, general thoughts, and we'll start with the state game. Mike, what's, what's your overall? We'll get into the specifics, but what's in a couple sentences? What, what's the overall synopsis? I mean, that's the most top-to-bottom dominant performance I've seen from a Michigan team in a very long time and credit to coach D'Antonio for what he's done there over the last 11 years and covering all those games yada 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 the eight wins they've looked very good in most of them but since he's been here that was also the most dominant win for one team over another in the rivalry in the D'Antonio era and it came from Jim Harbaugh So, I mean, I've never seen a Michigan team dominate both sides of the ball in the trenches for 60 minutes like that. It it felt so good. I mean, they – and it could have been so much worse. Could have been. It really could have. I mean, you know, the ball bounced a few different ways. But I got to give credit to Harbaugh because we 
we didn't do anything out of the ordinary. We stuck to a game plan. We knew we were the better team. We didn't try to get cute with anything. And we just wore them down for three and a half quarters and then just stuck to the run. And we just really dominated the game. You know, they... Oh, that's my password out there. Gay for Shay. Um, so <laughs> let's, let's start with the pregame antics. I mean, they're talking about it ad nauseum on, on the fucking sports waves, all the talking heads. Do you have a quick opinion on it? Uh, I mean, you know, I essentially just don't really understand still what exactly happened. I mean, I think, you know, rivalry game, emotions are running. I think both teams kind of just wanted to just kind of just get into it with each other and, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm past it. I'm past it. I'm past it, and I think more than anything, people can argue about why it happened or whatever. Both teams want this. Both teams wanted it. State wanted to be disrespected, a little extra fire. State fans talking about the oh, classic scum, classic. Um, and I just love seeing that fire. Who was it? I think Patty, Patty Harrington said, like, wouldn't you love to just switch bodies with Bush right now and feel the juices coming <laughs> right now? Oh man, it was just and Herb Street on the on game day being like, oh my god, oh, I've never I've never seen disrespect like that. That's just uncalled for. Really setting the tone. I mean, at the time it made me nervous because it seemed like the kind of thing that could come back in our face. But then the game started and one team was just vastly superior to the other. House, you just checked off every single box about how I felt about it. Obviously, I mean, no no one's at fault, and it wasn't egregious at all. I mean, both teams were trying to – both teams wanted it. And, the, I mean, the first thing I'm thinking is probably the same thing you guys are thinking. It's like, oh, Devin Bush is being a real bastard here. I love it. Hope he could back it up on the field today. And he did. He backed it up with his play. And and they're that confident. They're they're led by leaders like Devin Bush that know that they can go and stomp on their 50 before the game and still put up big numbers on the field and end them. And Karan Higdon and all those guys, they, they knew what they were doing before the game. And it wasn't even a mental battle thing. They just knew they were going to play well. They knew their team was going to recover for them if they didn't play well. And they did, and it showed on the field. They were the mentally tougher team for the first time in a long time in this rivalry. They were, and I guess we'll we'll start. I guess we'll start on defense as you were talking about. It just it seems to be a pattern. I think every game. I don't know. I think we were talking about how Don Brown's a little stubborn, and he just like we're just gonna send our athletes, our better athletes, out there. So in the beginning of the game, when the plays are scripted, it seems like they're just going right after our weaknesses, and they can get an early touchdown. It feels like every game so far. I guess up until this one. And maybe Wisco, they they got an early touchdown and it looked like we were on the ropes. But then the game settles in and our secondary is just suffocating. How many times during the broadcast? I can't ever remember that they just there is just nobody open downfield. That seems to be, I mean, everything going through that, Devin Bush running around everywhere and the defensive line being relentless, but I've just never seen a team just completely take the will out of a rival like that. Cannot agree more. I mean, it was really in the beginning of the year and even up until like Northwestern game. I mean, you just go four wide against us and, you know, third down coverage and have to draw, you know, Josh Metellus or draw Ambry or draw Watson onto, and, you know, Tyree Kennel. And guarding that fourth guy in the slot, the amount of pass interferences or the amount of slant patterns that were just open against us. Don Brown, you got to make some adjustments. And, you know, boy, did he ever. Yeah. And these plays are just not open much anymore. And, 
you know, the first team to ever really expose us was Penn State on the road last year, you know, in that night game. Yeah. And to hear Don Brown yesterday after this Michigan State win say that he wakes up every single morning thinking about that loss last year just yeah. really fueled it. It gives you the chills, Rock. It does. I can, you can picture him up like, honey, come back to bed. Ah, 2.30 a.m. and fucking in the middle of the summer, and he's just looking at film of Saquon Barkley in the first play. Just grinding me. Oh, man. He just gets me fired up. What a hire. What a nice Google search by Harbaugh there. Really, he's, he's been astounding. I mean, I'm looking at the stats right here for Michigan State. Arrival. What, what would you rank their offense that we've seen them? No, five, seen five for 25. I saw something on third down where they hit five. Got Lorgie hit five different uh, guys on the sideline. That were not in the game. So he has many completions as he hit on the side. His QBR is 3.3. He's 66 yards. And then, oh, well, you know, they must have had a good day on the ground. It's Michigan State. Oh, leading rusher 25 yards. And yet the team somehow has 15 total. My God. I don't think there's ever been a – I mean, maybe in the Rich Rod era when we were getting plowed. But I can't remember. They were just embarrassed out there. And we kept le- – Leaving them in the game, and they just wouldn't matter. We're not giving them an inch. What do you think about, uh, I guess, the overall D-line play? Like, oh man, it's it's been incredible. But you keep thinking about what could have been, and I'm not. I'm indifferent on the Gary situation. I mean, if he's done, thank you for your service. I hope you're a top ten pick, and I hope you make a lot of money for your family. But wouldn't it be awesome to? Don Brown mentioned today. They could have a rush package of Quiddy Pay, yeah. Josh Ushi, who leads the team in sacks, Rashawn Gary, and Chase Winovich rushing the quarterback if they get Gary back and get him back healthy. Like that would be absurd. And it it showed in that game what what could be because of how dominant and how quick they are and how how they set the edge and they, they give you nothing. You better be a quick decision-making quarterback or you're going to get nothing from that Michigan defense. And any mistakes, any holes, any over-pursuit that they, if they make and they get too aggressive, Devin Bush is there. He's fucking everywhere. Every one of them. I mean, De- oh Dan Gill will be there. He's Devin my favorite Bush will player since coming to student. It's kind of funny because Bush has been so good and, you know, you've seen these guys like Quiddy Pay and Uche and, even, you know, Gill and Ross step up that, you know, guys like Cleek Hudson, they've been kind of quiet yeah. this year. And, you know, it's almost leading up where everyone was saying he was gone after this year, and he's definitely going to be back now. And I think you're going to see, you know, some of these guys that, you know, as we've seen this year that are able to just to step up on our bench that we, we didn't even know we had. And it's kind of just, you know, really exciting to see for the future. I mean, I remember going into this year, it's like, oh, if we lose Gary, you know, we have no one, you know, no one behind him. And it's, you know, as a pure pass rusher, Uche is right up there with him. I mean, don't get me wrong; I'm still would rather have Gary in there, but you're not really you're not really not missing much I'm, that we've seen so far. I think the bottom line is this: is that this defense is at such a level and has so much depth. There's no team in the nation, including Alabama, that I think is, can run away from this team. I think they no. have. No. They're always going to keep us within striking distance. And it doesn't matter. I mean, if our offense stalls for a period of time, this defense is going to keep us in the game. Any game. I'm they'll not- they'll do their part. They'll do their part. And we can and- go ahead and beat Bama, but I'm saying that they'll keep it close enough. And to validate that point, look at the Notre Dame game where they were 
the door was wide open at the beginning and the Irish just couldn't stop getting yards and couldn't stop making plays and couldn't stop scoring. The Michigan defense did its part and stood on its head in the second half and put the offense back in the game, and you had a one-score game with three minutes to go. And I think you're seeing a difference this year. I mean, our defense has been dominant the entire Don Brown era, but I think you're just seeing them close it out this year. So many times we'd have them, you know, suffocated for three quarters, but then we're end up breaking at the end of the game and that last touchdown. They're just keeping it locked up tight. I think it's a mentality that, you know, I guess these guys are a little older, more experienced, but they're just mentally tough. I think it's more that, I mean, as you said, the more experience, I mean, you really only lost Maurice Hurst last year, which is obviously a big loss, and you lost McCray as well. But, I mean, you know, these linebackers are faster. You know, some of the depth now that we have up, up front is, you know, not replace Mo fully, but, you know, you're not seeing much of a drop-off in uh, – and that's the biggest thing about this team compared to, you know, prior years is they really can handle a couple injuries up front. They can really handle some of the linebacker injuries. And, you know, it's not some of these corners. I mean, everyone's saying Long Island's better over, you know, better than Hill over there. And, you know, even got the fifth year in there when Watson, you know, this team is, this team's really deep and, you know, they're going to be, Harbaugh's really building a uh, dynasty over there. Okay, we know this defense is dominating, perhaps all-time dominating, but let's switch to the other side of the ball. The question mark coming into this year, and as has been the entire Harbaugh era, is can we get anything resembling a consistent offensive attack? And it appears he finally found it. Now, it looked we struggled a little bit at times. We always have and probably always will go through dry spots, but... This team can move the ball consistently, and there's a lot of places to look. The difference, obviously, finally getting a quarterback in there that is an athlete, top level, hitting his receivers, making plays, has that kind of swagger, not turning the ball over. But it's, it's, I'm torn between him and the improvements on the offensive line behind Warner as, as the biggest factor in what the difference is on offense. But uh, I guess why do you think it's different this year, Mike? Uh, Warner. Dave Warner, pay him as much money as you can. Make sure he never leaves so long as the offense Jim Harbaugh is running. I mean, this is uh, this is as good, as good as it gets. We were ready to pull the ripcord on Runyon and Juwan Bushel-Beatty. And honestly, the interior wasn't great after the Notre Dame game, but they've made every improvement. They're dominant now. I don't remember, again, I don't remember a Michigan team dominating the trenches on both sides of the ball, but especially an offensive line like this in a long time. And now Harbaugh is able to run some of that power and some of that Harbaugh spread that he was running in San Francisco and he was running with Stanford. And you're starting to see the results with the offense. I mean, it's, it's so clear how much more time he has. Yeah. It really is amazing. I mean, it's coupled with that, but I mean, I've also, I think obviously you got to give credit to Shea Patterson and, you know, you know, you talk to the average person that was hasn't been watching Michigan games the last five or six years, and they don't, you know, they don't really notice how good he's been. And you really got to compare him to what's been there before, and that's what I'm doing. And it's just night and day. I mean, even when the pocket does break down, the guy can make plays with his feet. It used to have to be, you know, when you have Wilton Spade and O'Corn, it was if we don't have a third and eight and a tight end wide open over the middle on the first read, this plays we're going fourth down, and you just don't see that as much with Shea Patterson. And it's really, you know, when stuff breaks down on the road, and that's why we've lost so many road games the last five or six years, you need a quarterback in there to be able to make plays and win games. And that's why after that Northwestern game, I was so impressed with what he did in the fourth quarter on that game-winning drive because that's yeah. a game 
that we lose 10 out of 10 times the last 10 years. And this is not an easy offense to pick up, and that's what you're saying. Like, give me Notre Dame right now because every week he's better. Every week in this Harbor offense he's getting better. It's a complex offense. We, we've been known to go on a drive with 11 plays, 11 different personnel packages, and 11 formations. I thought, you know, I've been one to say that it's overly complex, but bottom line is anyone who comes in fresh is going to take a while to get it. And his athleticism alone early on was able to get him by, but now that he's getting the grasp, now that he knows to make the reads, I thought early on in the, in the state game that he was a little hesitant to pull it, but now I think I believe that those were intentional, intentionally bad reads to set up those those pulls because you think the cameraman out about three times should have kept yeah, that one at, at least twice. Should have kept that one in the first drive though. That was all setting him up. A little yeah. rope ago. A little rope ago. The guy makes plays and I think most yeah, important. That fourth and two when he went for twelve, that was huge. Oh yeah. I mean, he's it's not like he's a conservative quarterback. He's out there making plays, but he takes care of the ball. It just every game every other quarterback we've had in the Harbaugh era I mean, at some point in the game, it's just a horrific decision or a fumble or interception or something like that that Shea seems to avoid. And if you can make big plays and avoid the turnovers, man, with our defense, uh, there's a lot to love. And let's. what about the running game? What do you think of Higdon? I mean, I think Higdon, where, where would you put him? amongst the backs in the last oh decade or so where would you put him i mean who's been a better run i mean since i've been a student in 2008 he's the best running back so since before like right after mike hart not including mike hart he's the best since mike hart yeah he's the best since mike hart i would say he runs so hard he gets downhill he can make cut when he's healthy he makes great cuts um, I mean, I'd say McGuffey in his prime, but I think right after that, it's got to be him. <laughs> oh, man, imagine a Higdon High School uh, mixtape. Uh, How fun that would have been. And the fact that we're sitting here right now after the freshman year that Chris Evans had. He's probably been the most disappointing player on the team this year, I'd say. I mean, if I'm, he doesn't fumble uh, within the 10-yard line, you're shutting I, out Michigan State two days ago. I think it has a lot to do, I mean, with the success of Higdon. And as he gets less carries, he's starting to try to make too much happen. It's kind of a cycle. I don't. I think if if Higdon didn't exist and Evans was just always the guy, he might be a better back by now. I'd like to think. Yeah. But my God, what were what were his stats? He had one fifty, like one forty four or something like that. Or? Just the workout horse. Oh man, just quintessential part. But is he the most valuable running back on the team? That's the question, Mike. Because, uh, well, I know you're uh, you're hinting at uh, Ben Mason or True Wilson right now. <laughs> Everyone does their job. That's the whole thing. Is they're all doing their jobs. The other guys can block. They can make holes, and it's it's a collaborative effort. No back is more valuable than the other back. And I'd even put Shea Patterson in there. He does his role to help the rushing attack. It's truly a ten man unit uh, yeah. coupled with the offensive line. And uh, I, I mean, everyone just does their job, and they're doing it well. Oh, man, so you're really starting to see – I saw a bunch of highlights back-to-back of how he's really starting to tap into some of the plays that he found a lot of success with Kaepernick. And that, the offense that year – what, you think of all the elements of the Harbaugh offense is, is bashing Frank Gore running back. You got a Vernon Davis tight end. 
Uh, quarterback who can move. Receivers who could get downfield, who they have. They had uh, Torrey Smith. They had Michael Crabtree at one point. Yeah, it just – it's he's got all the pieces that are there, guys. I mean, what else – we're not lacking for a lot. It'd be nice if Tariq Black had come back full steam and take the top off the defense a little bit. Um, that's here, and he's officially now he's 100%. Will be 100% for this Penn State game, though. So it'll be really interesting to see. Uh, you know, will they use him more in the slot? Will they use him out wide and you know move Nico? You know, I'm curious to see what what kind of packages they're going to put out there. Because I mean, you obviously still have Ronnie Bell who's been a stud. You got Gentry, obviously, and you know, there's only one football. Yeah, only one football. I mean, he, people think of him as the speed demon over the top, but he's a great possession guy. But limited, we saw what we're talking about spring and like the Florida game. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's just another it's another added element to the offense. There's every every week they turn the page, and you can tell Patterson's getting more comfortable, and they add a little bit more. It gets a little bit more complex, and that's going to be another asset. There's only one ball, but it's going to be nice when that one ball is going downfield to the guy that's beating. Everybody on the other team's secondary, and if it's Tariq Black, if it's uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones with great route running, or if it's Nico Collins going over the top and grabbing a ball over someone's head, there, there's a lot to like once Tariq no Black is 100%. I think we have no weaknesses. Top no. to bottom, the entire team. No. I mean, this uh, – well, let's – The kicking to, game. The, the kicking game. I guess so. If, if you had to pick a weakness. I mean, Quinn is struggling – He's kicking some ugly ones. I don't know. Is he going to be able to find it? I don't know. That was one of the worst kicks I think I've seen that we should have been up 10 nothing, And he – that the the hold was there, the spot was there, and he just shanked it. I mean, I don't know. Because when was he in his prime? He had a good – when was his best his, strategy his fresh His freshman year, I was down in Dallas for the Florida game, 17 Labor Day, and he literally hit 250-plus yarders out there in Jerry World. And now he can't even Such make a 30, 35-yard field goal. Against Wisconsin, he was missing them too. I mean, you got to open up. You got to open up the competition this this uh, improvement week here, and and really uh, really get that going because you're not going to beat Ohio State with that. Mm-mm. And it's a shame because Will Hart's been so good. Will Will Hart should be in the conversation for with just about anybody on the team with how good he's been. He had a rough first half against Michigan State, but he is every bit of the All Big Ten punter that we'd expect this year. And uh, you, you'd hope the kicking game could be just half as good as the punting game at hey, some point because then you really would be a deadly team. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you have to pick pick a weak spot of the team, uh, I guess it'll be that. I'll, I'll take the offense and defense. Um, let's talk about where we're sitting right now and what we're doing moving forward. So it's hard to believe after that Notre Dame game and – how we looked in that game on national TV to where we're sitting right now, which is in control of our own destiny. And more importantly than that, we were sitting here before in 2016, but what feels different this year is, is the competition. It's Penn state has looked very, very beatable a lot for huge portions of time this season. They barely escaped Indiana. Um, they lost to a Michigan State team that didn't even belong in the same field as us, really. Appalachian State week one. Yeah. I mean, Utah State. Uh, it's I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm obviously not looking forward. But I guess more importantly, the Buckeyes, I've never seen anything. I've never seen a Buckeyes team compete like 
like that on Saturday. I don't know. Did you guys watch any of that? I watched the whole game, and uh, they they looked defeated. They looked defeated from they the start. It. They mailed it in. And someone posted on MGO blog, they said, Urban looks really gray on the sideline. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. A bunch of, you know, Michigan fans making assessments like that. He looked pretty gray at the end of that game. And his body language doesn't look good. And I think the team is echoing that. They look so defeated and so confused. And if there's one bright spot for Michigan, it's that they have, they as in Ohio State, they have a quarterback that, yeah, he can make some big time throws, but he's not the dual threat in the uh, the asset that they're used to in the pocket, which benefits Michigan. And on top of that, Ohio State's defense is its probably the worst in Urban Meyer's tenure there. They're prone to a lot of errors. They get beat very easily downfield. And, um, yeah, I agree with you, House. It's, it, we shouldn't be looking ahead, but, I mean, but I don't even know if they're stop. the toughest team left on the schedule. They can't run or stop the run. They just threw the ball 70 times against Purdue and got their asses handed. That's like, a recipe team. for they disaster. Were just fucking off tackle or up the middle and breaking huge run after huge run. Those guys quit on them. I mean, yeah, I do expect them to get it turned around to a certain degree. be playing their best football, but they're going to run into a Michigan team that can run the ball very well and stop the run extremely well. So the matchups are there, man. I'm scared. We've talked about Penn State. I won't believe it till I see it. Let's talk. Mm -hmm. I mean, Penn State game. It has, if I've learned anything as a Michigan fan, this is the game that we mail it in and, Lose a game that we're not supposed to. I could not be more nervous for this one. And, you know, they handed it to us last year. And, you know, don't think we forgot, though, when they were up 41-13 and James Franklin was still at second and goal trying to score a touchdown at the end of the game because the team still remembers that. And I think you're going to see a team come out on, you know, the revenge tour they're on off of by healthy, and I think they're going to struggle in the first half here. And yeah, they're going to come out we're slow. We're due for it. I mean, we're going to come out slow here. McSorley's, you know, top two quarterback in the Big Ten still. And they're still a good football team. I'll be curious to see what they do against Iowa this week. They got the home game there. And then, you know, I saw something today where eight-point favorites against them right now. But it's not going to be an easy game. I mean, they they killed us last year. And I know they're, you know, you know I know you got different teams. I know we killed them in 16. But, you know, I don't I – don't, I, I almost see us celebrating too much after this Michigan State game and just, you know, yeah, warranted. But it's, you know, I, I'm really hoping that – I do think the coaching staff, which is why I love that Don yeah. Brown quote. But I'm really hoping that we're moved on and really focusing on this one because this one, uh, I mean, I, think I never like being uh, optimistic. But if you win this one, then you're going into you're going into the shoe with one loss as the number three or four team in the country. So, I mean – Look, I'm looking at the stats right now for Penn State versus Indiana. Coming off of that tough loss, how are they going to respond? Indiana threw for 330 yards and a touchdown, and they ran the ball for 224 yards and three touchdowns. They had a 138-yard rusher. This is our Indiana players. So the defense is much weaker than it was last year. I think, I mean, they, they let that Michigan State team hang around, hang around. They did what they always do. But... I copied this comment from, I was just looking at the matchup from this Penn State fan. He's like, got to be realistic. We're going to lose. We're not only going to lose, we're going to get killed. Penn State is looking like the team from the sanction years, not that Big Ten title team. But they barely escaped that Indiana game. It just, it's almost too good to be true, man. I, I can't it, it is. It, it's setting up for a trap. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing, we can't overlook it, but if there's one if there's one concern I think that Penn State presents, it's that Trace McSorley has proven time and time again that he's the real deal. 
And um, that's an issue that Michigan has had, that Don Brown's defense in particular has had problems with in the past, and that's stopping dual-threat quarterbacks, especially ones where they're run first. And uh, you saw it against Notre Dame, and I hope that they do enough to make sure that Trace McSorley's legs don't beat them. I mean, if you have to diagram, what does a Michigan loss look like to, to uh, Penn State or Ohio State? I can't picture the defense giving up more than two touchdowns ever. I think it's going to be it's going to take like a special teams play. But I don't know, man. I think Shea and the boys are always going to put up at least 20. I mean, they exposed us last year. And, you know, I mean, as good as Don Brown's been, I mean, I would say outside the Ohio State game last year that, I mean, I would say Penn State was probably Don Brown's, you know, worst game as defensive coordinator there. I mean, there was, you know, tied 14-14 with John O'Corn at half there. And even after the bad start, it was like, you know, the defense, which has normally been our backbone, was just getting exposed by, you know, getting the safeties in one-on-one and, you know, obviously Barkley's, you know, much better than they got right now, but McStorley's still there. He's probably better than he was last year. And until they take the field, I'm uh, I'm not going to uh, write that one off yet. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there, Rock. We've seen too many heartbreaking losses to overlook anyone. And that's going to be including, well, we can overlook Rutgers. But Indiana. In Indiana, there's a lot of points. And, yeah, and they are. stay in games, so. Like they almost beat Penn State. So, I mean. One game at a time, but I think the revenge tour factor really helps. There's no way they're going to forget the taste in their mouth from Penn State last year. And they're certainly going to need no motivation to, to beat Ohio State again. Um, it's, it really sucks that I was – I guess we could talk about it at a future pod, the idea of the playoff system and championship games and how that's all going to get one step at a time. Yeah. Um, over to our special guest. The traveling diehard himself about to call in from Cincy, Scotty Dubs, joining us to talk a little Detroit Lions football. After Scotty weighs in, we'll come back, do the Fab Five of things that are diehard. Not going to want to miss that one, as well as our final thoughts on the Michigan season moving forward. But first, but first quick word from our sponsors. Today's episode of the Pure Podcast is brought to you by Jewel. Jewel is the unique and beautifully designed e-cigarette built perfectly for the diehard on the go. Just like Harbaugh's coaching career, Jewel got its start at Stanford in 2007, and since that day, both Jim and Jewel have been on an unrelenting pursuit of greatness. At Jewel, they know that flavor is essential to a satisfying tailgating experience. So, in a historic move, the folks at Jewel have collabed with the Pure Podcast to create four new flavors perfect for the playoff push. The limited edition Playoff Push Pod Pack contains four game-changing flavors. Add watermelon, Juwan Bushelberry, Dylan McAfee Taffy, and Gay for Shea Sorbet. Go to Jewel.com to pick up your pack today. Enter promo code PURE, P-U-R-E, for 15% off your first order. Jewel Vapor, as legendary Penn State football coach once said, we're just having a good time. We're definitely not harming any children. Okay, here we go. Scotty Dubs. Scotty Dubs. I got hoes calling a young nigga phone. Where's Ollie with the motherfucking dog? Bitch, I be balling like a motherfucking pro. Nigga, 
Now joining us on the Pure Podcast, first episode of the year. We got Scott Wilson on to talk some Detroit Lions football. You got um, Rock in the house with you? Oh, yeah. Rock's in the house. How you doing, Scott? Doing amazing. First time, long time, boys. <laughs> Happy to be here. Great to have you. Great to have you. So, Hell yeah, Scott. I guess we'll get started. I mean, any general thoughts on the year and how it's going so far under Patricia? You know, I always tell myself going into the line season to never get too hot too well. Um, almost wanted to kill myself after that week one loss against the Jets. Uh, ended up with me just blacking out by myself in Louisville. Um, but we recovered nicely. If you were to tell me we beat the Packers and the Patriots at the beginning of the season, I'd take it. So, you know. Yeah, let's, let's start in the beginning. How... I guess, Rock, how do you think we started that fucking poorly against the Jets? Because that was embarrassing. We thought we were going to be like a two-win team after that. So I, I sprint home from work because at the central time, the game starts at 530 because they always cram in those two Monday night games. Right. And first play of the game, pick six. I'm thinking this is the year. I do think that every year, but this this. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. It was the best start mm-hmm. ever. And I was tossing. I was at the game, and I was tossing my brother up and down. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> unbelievable start. And yes. then we just got absolutely dismantled. It looked like Patricia wasn't the guy. Yeah, I guess they knew our plays. and Yeah. How does that happen on a first-time head coach? It's got to be Cooter's fault, right, Mike? I think that was just the most underprepared I've ever seen the Lions offense, coupled with the fact that they were implementing a new defense, and that was your recipe for disaster. But I can't think of a time I've ever seen Matthew Stafford that unprepared since that route against the Kansas City Chiefs probably in London where they fired uh, Lombardi. Other than that, I mean, under Cooter, we haven't seen anything like that. Did you think, were you having, now, I want you to be honest with me, Scott. Did you have any doubts that Matty Staff was the guy after that game? Um, I'll live and die with Matt until I die. I've always been the biggest Matt supporter. Have the philosophy, if not Matt, then who? Like, you see some of the other other starting quarterbacks in this league. He's more than serviceable, so I'll live and die with, with Matty Stafford. I, I've never really lost faith in, faith in him specifically. It was just some of the other aspects of that opening game that, that worried me more than Stafford. Okay, so what was – I'm rather die mad as well. We're not going to do that. I mean, well, he's a top 10, 8 guy. Is it safe to say all four of us are ride or die Stafford? Of course. Yeah, you, okay. You're not going to be – Okay. This, is, this podcast is a strong ride or die pod. Yeah, I'd almost call call out your line fanship and your <laughs> NFL uh, ability to just watch NFL football if you're if you're yeah. not rotting or yeah, not Matty Stafford at this point. In Matt, we trust. So what what was second? Did we get we didn't get turned around right away? No, we lost the 49ers. <laughs> Looking like <laughs> it was going to be a wrong year, and yet somehow here we're standing here. We beat Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, just beat the first place or tied for first place Dolphins. It looks like Patricia's got it turned around. The running game is better than I've ever seen it. I mean, Mike Palazzo will be the first to tell you the woes of our running game. What do you, what do you think's the difference this year? I think it just goes back to the interior line. They've spent a lot of time addressing it, and the Ragnow draft pick, which I didn't love but I liked, it paid off. Uh, and then it helps to have a healthy TJ Lang. You have two of your best games on the ground with TJ Lang playing. And it just starts up front, starts in the trenches, and carry on will do the rest after that. Are you a Ragnow guy, Scotty? 
Graham. Uh, I could not agree more. It's just nice to have an offensive that not only can we establish a run game and have a two-dimensional offense, but actually protect Stafford and not yeah. having run running for his life on every single play of the game. So uh, it's a nice change of pace. I, I can't remember in, in my entire lifetime having an offensive line that I have relative faith in. So it's, it's been a nice change of pace this year. It feels like he, for the first time, it doesn't have to be Matt standing on his head throwing 60 times to win. It's exactly I think right. the first time in his career. He's been the least pressured quarterback in the NFL this year. Least oh, amount of sacks. Yep. He's been the most upright quarterback. Can we ever say that ever again? Let's find out. Uh, yeah. I mean, you got – I I want to say, I mean, we could go around on who your MVP of the season is, but Kerryon Johnson has just been a refreshing part of my Sundays watching him run the football, man. He's second best behind Saquon, right? He's got Yeah. I, th- I think he is. I think he is. And he grades out actually higher than Saquon on uh, pro football focus, if that, if that counts for anything. So he's not doing as much as Saquon, and his offense doesn't go through him like Saquon's does, but he's looking pretty good right now. Yeah. I mean, you look at that Giants offensive line, too, and you almost feel bad for the guy. So I feel like historically that's the Lions just throwing a talented running back with no offensive line to run behind. So it's, it's a, again, it's not, that's a hard one that point, but it's a nice change of pace. Having a talented running back, a talented young running back, and actually having an offensive line to put him behind. So it's, it's been a very refreshing start to the season here. So I guess what do you, what we could go around, what are your grades? What are, how many games are we in? Seven? We're three and three, right? Yes, seven, seven, games. seven and six games. So what is, what's your grade of the coaching staff so far this year? We'll start with Mike. I'm going to go with B-. minus. Um, it's infuriating that they're beating the likes of Brady and Rodgers and then losing the games that they should be winning. Um, yeah. That being said, I also don't know if they are better than their record. Uh, the only reason I have optimism right now is because the division's wide open. But, you know, every week I add another percentage to that coaching staff. Right now they're at a B minus. Talk to me against the Bears on Thanksgiving. What do you think, uh, Scotty? I think B minus is fair. High C's, low B's. I mean, the, <laughs> that's where you want to be. The sweet spot. that I was I was uh, reading after week one that Patricia had lost the locker room was I was down in the dumps. I remember uh, being at Tin Lizzie's uh, week three with Rock after that 49ers loss. You guys weren't inebriated. <laughs> no. I honestly don't think Rock was because he was in Michigan. <laughs> I actually wasn't. Fresh <laughs> <laughs> water. Like, what do we do here? Do we tank for a draft pick? Do we get rid of Patricia? And I think it just took a while for for the locker room to buy in that change of culture. Caldwell, obviously, being a player's coach and generally looking like he doesn't care what the players do on a weekly basis. And, Patricia, obviously, a little bit more of a hard-ass. So I think it took a, a while for the locker room to kind of find that philosophy. But I think long-term, it, it looks like it's paying dividends. We've looked a lot better in the last few weeks than we did at the beginning of the season. I think it just took a little bit of time for the players to adjust. Anyone who says that he, any rumors of him losing the locker room, look at those videos of all the boys surrounding him after beating Belichick. 
I mean, that's not a locker room that's lost. That was just diehard for The boys are... I mean, even Bill Belichick showed up in the Lions locker room after Patricia beat oh. Belichick. He definitely doesn't... He never lost the locker room. That wasn't a thing. I mean, Colin Coward blames that he was wearing a backwards hat week one. Once he got it, <laughs> turned around, was taking... <laughs> dressing for the job that you want. <laughs> no, he's not a scrub anymore. So, I don't know. I don't know if he's got the offensive genius, but that's what that's what Cootie's there for, right? Okay, okay, so who's the division's wide open? Who's the biggest competitor? And can you think we do you think we can uh, make a run for the division title, Scott? I mean, obviously, you look at the Vikings, you've already beat the Packers at home. I, uh, I was looking at our schedule before this, and the Vikings at home and then at Lambeau to the end of the season. I think I'm gonna have nightmares for the next five to six weeks on those two games. But uh, you look at how the Vikings have kind of turned their season around and they've been really hot. It seems like they're starting to gel. That's the team I'm, I'm worried about in the division. But you look at the NFC kind of across the board, and there's not really any other teams outside of obviously the Rams. I'm hoping they've already clinched like home field advantage by the time we play them in December. But yeah, even if we don't win the division, I think the wild card is going to be kind of wide open. So we got, if we split with the Bears, split with. The Vikings beat the Bills and Cardinals. What they're now we're at seven wins, and then we're looking at the games against Seahawks, Panthers, Rams. Right, that's it. I think this week's a must-win because if be. you don't if you don't win this week, the Bears play the Jets and the Bills their next two games. Then they play us at home. We lose this game. We're probably not going to win the next one at Minnesota on the road. Then we're going into Chicago at three and five. I mean, I think you this week is a must-win. And Agreed. I'm with you there, Rock. It's it's a must win for that. And then on top of that, the Seahawks are your bar in the NFC. I think they're a good mid-range level NFC team. And honestly, I think nine games, nine wins might get you into the wild card because it's a down year for the NFC. So if you can't pull it off at home against the Seahawks, I don't like their chances in games at Chicago, at Minnesota down the road, Man. the Panthers. I don't see them winning those games if they can't take care of business. Pump at home the brakes of their chances at Chicago with the diehard tailgate in place. Yeah. <laughs> it's really <laughs> tough to lose that game. Diehards show hard. They have good luck there too, don't they? Oh man, last year we just set up the sent up the beacon light. We I remember that. Five I remember and four getting that. the six and four chance going, and we led that. <laughs> Into the wind, Prater from 67 yards out. Just My dad will routinely, when he calls me, he'll start the phone phone call with six and four. Six and four. <laughs> the best chant of all time. Oh, man. So I, th- I'm putting that down as an absolute win. This week's a I win. Think that's fair. That's absolutely so fair. So I'm actually a spin zone. I'm going to say that Packers at the end of the year is going to be an automatic win because I don't think they're that good. I think Rodgers will already be – not be playing that game because I think they'll be out of the playoff race. And I really think the divisions between Bears, us, and the Vikings. We could, uh, I don't think the Bears are that good. Or are yeah, the, who's the best team in the division besides the I Lions? Think we match up well the Vikings today. are. I just, based on, uh, like, PT, call PTSD, but I, I just refuse to throw the Don Chain on, on the Packers with Rodgers. It's just... Until he proves me differently, he just somehow finds a way to win these fucking games. And I agree. I don't. I think the Packers are probably the worst team in our division, but you just can never count. In my opinion, just have nightmares from that guy. Yeah, it's like the Vikings. Pretty. That's back. more of a fact. Yeah. 
So, okay, I think, well, my buddy of mine had the idea brought up today that we should go all in assault trying to get Patrick Peterson, give up a first rounder and try to win now. I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts on that, Mike? Trying to go- I don't know if I'd do it for a first, but I'd come up with some sort of package with Tease Tabor, who it's too early to give up on. Give up Tease Tabor, maybe a third, see if you could sell him on uh, Amir Abdullah. But yeah, I mean, the, the last thing you want is... Uh, you, you you don't want another elite player ending up in the division. And, yeah, Patrick Peterson would look pretty damn good with Darius Slay, Quandre Diggs, and Glover Quinn. This was hard. They probably played Niners, Bills, and yeah. Cardinals. Looking at the Vikings. So they had what – what's their record? They're 4-2-1. and Because yeah. they looked – they were struggling early, right? I think they started 2-2-1 two, two, and one, and they won two. They got three. killed by the Bills. I hate how we have that weird tie. <laughs> we have that weird tie in our divisions. Then we're always going to be like wondering like what it like is actually doing there and how many wins we actually have to get to like win, to like win the North. Yeah, so they yeah. got killed by the Bills, and then they lost that good game to the Rams. Now they beat the Eagles, Cardinals. So they got to play the Saints this week. They still have to go at New England, and they still have to go at Detroit. They should. Uh, we need the Saints to win this week. We're big Saints fans for sure. Yes. Their defense isn't what it was though. It's not going to be like the struggle it was last year. Yeah, Sunday night. They're both I mean, dumb guys though. People forget that Drew's good in the dome. That's true. Yeah. So, what were his kids' names? It was just the whitest family. Ever. Braylon, Balin, Balin, and and Jalen were all there. <laughs> I just want you guys to know that. You're gonna, you can do anything you dream of. Oh my God, that fan in the, in the that was just bawling his eyes out for a quarterback setting a, a passing record. I couldn't tell if that's diehard or a man card situation. No, Saints fans are diehard. They're they're diehard. Um, I, if Maddie Stock throws that, I think we would all cry. Instead. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. One last thing I wanted to ask your guys' thoughts on Kenneth Galladay. Really seems like he's poised to be a top ten receiver someday. Am I wrong? I mean, I'm I'm running with the Galatron nickname. I he's he's he is poor man's Kelvin. They are there are scenarios where if he's one on one in coverage, you can just throw it up to him and watch what happens. And he's he's trending that way. He's trending that way. Yeah, I mean, it seems like I guess they've got a lot of receivers to feed. It seems like he goes away. Like where was on Sunday, right? I thought he had a touchdown, then I went to the bathroom, came back, and they called it back. It was negated by a really poor hands-to-the-face call that was a phantom call. It should have been a touchdown, though. All right, yeah. Mike. Scotty, what's your, so what's your prediction for final record? So, I think these next five games, I'm looking at our schedule, is really going to define our season. There's a lot of, in my eyes, 50-50 games there. We're 3-3 three and three now. I think eleven and five is a fair is a fair prediction. So what? Not too not too biased. Like lose to the Rams, maybe, and uh, I I think one of the yeah, Vikings I we I for whatever reason I just can't trust the Bears. Like I think we win both of those games. I'm hoping we beat the Seahawks. The NFL is just so random. I could I feel like we could be like eleven and five and six and ten, but I think our team's starting to gel. We're getting, we're building a run game. Yeah, I think eleven and five is a fair number. Not Homer or optimistic at all. I think that's a fair no. assessment, right down the middle. So I mean, it, 
We have if we sweep one of the Vikings or Bears, split the other one, beat the Packers, Bills cut. Yeah, it could happen. I think fair. The difference between winging it and just seeing what happens. <laughs> so let's see what happens. Uh, all right, Scotty. Um, I appreciate you coming on the pod. We'll, uh, Absolutely. We'll have to have you back. Uh, yeah, this is this is like therapy for me. I've been watching all of these games a lot at a bar in Cincinnati. So so this is good you, therapy. Are you planning on coming to well either Bears at Lions eleven eleven is starred and circled and as well as the Thanksgiving Day game. Can you make it to any of those? So there is a hundred percent chance I'll be at Bears Lions. Um, well, no they're both Bears Lions in Hawk, Chicago. Hawk and I are also circling that game down in Scottsdale. Uh, so that's something you should you should put on the back burner. Not a bad idea. Uh, I wish the Bills game wasn't the week before Christmas. Really puts us in a bind. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Stay classy right, down in Cincinnati, brother. All right. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah. See you, Scott. Go Lions. Go Blue. Yeah. Go Lions. Go Lions. So let's go to the Fab Five. This week's Fab Five. We have, I guess let's do a snake draft of things that are diehard. The Fab Five of things that are diehard. Why don't you kick us off, Rock? I'd say Fab Five of things that are diehard is, you know, watching every single game. <laughs> and, you know, there's too many times I'm hearing people that are considering themselves, you know, huge fans here. And they're just, they have weddings that come up. They, you know, they have to, you know. It's a really, I want to talk about NDH move. Having a fall Saturday wedding is just usable, man. If you're from the state of Michigan and you're having a wedding, your wedding on a fall Saturday, shame on you. Yeah. Um, shame on you. How about in from the states of America? It's not allowed, man. Come on. Have a little respect for the culture. It's, uh, did Harbaugh, was it a Harbaugh quote from something? I think it was in one of his early podcasts where he was talking about, or a, Someone's daughter was going to get married, and like, if you do it on a fall Saturday, I'm sorry, we'll, we'll send a card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. Uh, okay, you, you're up, Mike. Uh, how about uh, how about the Grateful Dead fan base, the Deadheads, the ones that just <laughs> follow them across the country and go to every single concert? It's the same people. I marvel at like how many times people say like that they've seen the same band play. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. I've seen them like 304 times. Yeah, like it's nobody's business. <laughs> Bill Walton once spent a whole summer following the Grateful Dead everywhere he went, and I think that's where he met his wife. Do you so. guys have any friends personally that do that kind of shit? You can't really have jobs. I guess you could take a couple weeks off in the summer, right? I mean, we've come – I don't know if we've followed Eric Prids around the entire country, <laughs> but we've, we've followed him to some pretty absurd places I mean, at this point. Me and your brother did do a back-to-back Detroit-Chicago – Two nights in a row, so yeah, that's about as yeah. bad as it gets. Um, okay, I guess I got two here on the snake. First, I'm going to go with anything that has to do with the offensive line. If I think that's a real barometer for how much of a diehard you are as a fan, because even anyone knows position players, and even defensive line, they can get stats like tackles and sacks. The offensive linemen do not have any stats. And to be able to break down offensive linemen depth, 
how while they're doing, and most importantly, offensive line recruiting and, and training camp rumors of how, how these guys are moving other bodies around in camp and how well they can move those bodies around, that's the most diehard. I think it's an easy barometer to, to measure how much of a fan you are. Yes. Um, okay, things that are diehard. Number two, I have the futures, the Michigan futures that we have, playoff that we bought every year. Um, bought them for 50 bucks at the beginning of the year, so I think the group is me, Foster, Lawrence, and Birdo. So it kicks in. We got them at 50 at the beginning of the year, so if they get, as soon as Michigan wins their semifinal game, we get four lower bowl tickets. Those futures are not going at 135. Uh, shout out to, <laughs> shout out to Jackie Hotstocks <laughs> if you want to move that for a profit. We never will. Um, you guys got well, because them because we're right? diehard. They got them at 70, but I got it at 70. The way I look at it is, about 50 bucks pays for it five times over. Just being able to talk about having them, and you know, almost like winning the lottery, like what you're gonna do with it. Talking about our plans for for the Natty and San Fran pays for itself. So wait, so you're at my number. Um, my number two is going to be Bill Belichick's quality control assistance. <laughs> um, you gotta love the game of football if you're gonna go work for that man. And uh, I was listening to Chris Sims, I think it was on Pardon My Take a while back. He went on to take the case against Blake Bortles, and he was talking about the year he spent under Bill Belichick, and that's how everyone starts under his staff is you go, and while the team is practicing, uh, the next week, or I'm sorry, the quality control assistant is breaking down film for the next week. So Bill Belichick literally has a team of guys that, are, that watch are game the- film on the next team a week in advance, and right. you got to be a diehard to be that guy. So the entire week before they're playing the Bills, they're not doing anything with the Bills. They're looking, they're studying film for the Dolphins. Yes, that guy. That guy loves football to be doing like that. Twelve has, hours a day, like six days a week. Harbaugh has a couple. Advise. What's the what's the term for the the coaches that aren't coaches? Analysts, like, graduate assistants, yeah. analysts. Yeah, like Devin Bush is that. Um, okay, you're up. Yeah, I would say uh, being shocked every time your team loses no matter how many times it happens. And just being as optimistic. I mean, we're talking about going to the championship and we beat a bad Michigan State team on the road because that's just what we do. And we'll be truly shocked. We've beaten Ohio State twice in the last 15 years, but if we don't go into the Columbus since they have one loss this year and beat them, everyone now will be absolutely shocked. And I love it. Yeah, that optimism. Next one. Uh, never actually winning a championship because <laughs> I've always said, I mean, I don't understand how Bama fans are really even fans. You know, I feel it has to get boring because you know, I like to go into the games and read up on every single angle of how we could possibly win the game. And then we just never do. And if you ever actually won one, then I think I'd have to find another hobby. Yeah. I mean, at their rate, like, do they even celebrate their fucking... That's what I don't understand. So, uh, those futures that we bought for 50 that are now with 135 the Bama futures are, like, $600. And mind you, that's not the cost of a face value. That's $600 that gives you the right to buy face value. Now, I'm guessing that's a lot of fucking ticket brokers that are just bet gambling on Bama going. But who is who is p- 
paying fucking like five grand to go see their sixth championship. Like, is that? I mean, you know, there's that we'll one Bama that fan yeah. that's been to every one of them. You, you, you know, there's someone that does it, and then they drive to every game too. Like, someone's out there that's a, a diehard Bama At fan. Some that gets point, that it's got. I mean, you got to cherish it because there's once Saban goes, it's it's they're never going to be the same. Like, you got to live in it, but. I don't know. It's got to lose its luster. I mean, it's you know six and seven, six or seven and one, whatever we are right now, and we scrape by Northwestern and you know lose on the road in their name, <laughs> and we still can't find something to complain about right now yeah. with our team. And Bama, you know, hasn't. I saw something that like their quarterback has like less, like almost the same amount of touchdowns as completions or incompletions. I mean, but yeah, it's nuts. They they're decent. They're decent, but Stevens created this world for himself where you. Their schedule is just a joke, but that we'll get into that in the playoff preview episode. Okay, number three and uh, for you, Mike, right? Number three for me, and uh, it's a little off the sports beaten path again, but I want you guys to hear me out on this one, and I want to know where you stand. But Lafayette Coney Island patrons, what side of the fence are you guys on? Well, I mean, I never go in American, so it's okay. Never is there, in my is there life. a line? I guess would be a line out the door, and I have to have a chili dog. I might consider it. I don't know. No, I would. I would never consider could it. Possibly be though. I would never consider it, and I mean the people who go to both okay. Americans better. They've been to both, but Lafayette fans have never been. They echo the same story. They've never been to American. I am one of those people. I'm a Lafayette Coney Island patron. I'm a diehard. But you you can't say if it's bad because you you don't know. No, it's better. I know. Okay. Good enough for me. Um, okay. I'm going to say for number three, I think going to a road NFL game is diehard to a level that I think even more so than college because the college trip of leaving Friday, going to the game Saturday, coming home Sunday is easy. You can't go to a road NFL game without missing work which I think makes it infinitely more diehard. You have you have extra travel, extra time there, and I think just having to sacrifice that for a regular season game makes it tough. I mean, I think there's a lot more, lot less road games for the pro teams for uh, the fan base. I mean, how many have you been to? Last uh, year, oh, I'll go ahead. Sorry, Rock, I mean to cut you off there. Yeah. Uh, last year, road NFL, I only went to one uh, at Bears. But uh, <laughs> it doesn't even count. But uh, <laughs> that road for us. Yeah, but it's diehard. Missing work is diehard, man. Missing work for football, dude. Fucking diehard. Um, I actually went to two. I went to Tampa Bay last year after we were already out of the playoff race. That being said, it's electric. I don't. That's diehard right there. <laughs> that little caveat. I'm going. I'm like going to Tampa. Oh, that's pretty good. Tampa in December, it's pretty warm, you know, and then he's like, after they were out of the playoffs, exactly. it's like, oh, we, fuck. We booked the, this trip, is... we booked the trip uh, like in like November, and then we lost like three in a row. And Yeah, that's diehard right there. Go, I mean, obviously, the guys that like fucking live and breathe for their pro team that are going in the fucking every game face painted, it's a special breed. Raiders fans. <laughs> I don't know if they're, they're going to be there. Gruden keeps going like he does. Um, I guess on the random note, did you guys listen to the broadcast last night where Booger admitted to like pissing his pants on the sidelines all the time? I heard about it. It might cost him his job. Is that is that true? Because he they were talking about oh OBJ ran to the bathroom, ran inside the bathroom, and Booger's like, I don't know about you guys, but like 
we never, I never went to the bathroom. I just sit on the bench and I'd go. And he's expecting, he's expecting Witten to just join in. And he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, are you, come on, Jason. No. So he sat there for his whole career just pissing his pants. And I think he realized on national TV that no one else does that. What well, a place for that time. job so. actually threatened? No, but I mean, that, that didn't look good. That wasn't a good look. And then. Jason Witten in real time trying to figure out the math on why Schumer was going for two there. That also didn't look good. Um, they they got to figure out that Monday Night Football crew. That's that's we'll leave it at that. Um, I'm gonna go my fourth one. Um, booking accommodations ahead of time. You have the best story of that, Rock. The book you booked the flight to San Antonio after the Florida. Before the Florida State. Before game. the Florida State. Game. You have to. But any accommodations, I myself have dinner reservations in Indianapolis for Friday night. That's, St. Elmo's. It's diehard. It's diehard. It's, it goes right back into your last one of that optimism. Um, Got to continue to do it. It keeps you alive. But there's nothing more diehard than when, against the odds, you're booking flights and no us. Before it happens, Rock, we actually did that as well. My brother and I, when they made the uh, when they made the Elite Eight, um, we oh, yes. booked. We didn't do the whole thing, but we booked our return accommodations. We booked our return flight to San or from San Antonio. Goddamn, Di Vincenzo. Okay, um, Mike, for your fourth, right? Yeah, my number four, um, I think this is a pretty good one here. My number four is going to be Cleveland Browns Dog Pound members, people who have sat through Cleveland Browns games in that shitty stadium I, in the Dog Pound for the last couple decades. I mean, kudos to you. I think we can, we can sympathize and relate to the Browns fans. I guess. Yes, yes. But those people, to brave the cold. If your team sucks year after year, I think that makes you more diehard. Yes, agreed. So if you're a Browns fan that's stuck around and been there through it all, number kudos three, to you. Dog pound slash sucking. Diary. Yes. Okay. Your last and, two. Uh, so I'm saying next one would be uh, sending like a message knowing you're not going to get any likes on your diehard <laughs> comment. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you just see something at like 730 in the morning, whether you're at the gym or just, you know, walking to work and you just see something on like the 2020 recruiting when no one's really like awake yet, but, and you just need to like get it off your chest. So you just say it to the group me and then oh, someone hey, we posts, just, we just offered a 2021 three star. And then someone oh, will post a uh, message like, you know, two hours later and get about 15 likes and you're just kind of sitting there, but you know, it was not going to get any and you still post it. Your anyway. diehard supersedes the ability to, to find a prime time post. Yeah, thing. exactly. Diehards aren't in diehards it for don't the go by L's. Time. Diehards aren't in it for the L's. They know it's a judgment-free diehard zone. Okay, one more for you. Five's a lot. We might have to trim this. Um, number five. I'd say like. I'd say number five would have to be, just like not being able to sleep before rivalry games. Yeah. No, not being able to sleep. <laughs> How about the entire week before? <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's good. I, I, I can tell you I had trouble, honestly, sleeping Friday night last week. Um, so we, we've all been there. And I it's, was just it's tossing and turning. Time. And I was just waiting for, waiting for that 11 a.m. Exactly. Went to bed at 3 and still woke up at 7, like then two the rain hours delay. before game day. And the rain delay, yeah. And I can, and I can still feel that the sound of in 2013 when 
the sound got sucked out of out of the stadium and you could only hear like in the corners of the Spartan section losing their minds. I can still see it. Um so yeah, I didn't say much either. Yeah, thanks for that image. So what one more for you, Mike, and then my last one is going to be the, uh, the bros that dress up like Jim Harbaugh and show up to games. That's incredible. You know you're diehard if you go out and you buy the khakis and you buy the dying. sweatshirt and the hat and you put a pen around your neck and you got the glasses and the headset. Like That's, that's pretty diehard. And kudos to you. No matter the weather, if you're getting that done. Um, it is. Okay, I'm torn between the last one. Number five, I'm going to go with my growing year by year hatred for Chicago teams. When Ooh, I when I when I excellent. run into people get confused, especially like coworkers or mainly any woman doesn't understand the especially Krista doesn't get why I live in this city. Why wouldn't you want that team to succeed or cowork like why are, do you want the Cubs to lose? Why are you happy right now that the Cubs are losing? And it's very simple. That all these teams weren't just other teams; they were rivals of Detroit. And being living in the city, while they, I've had to endure a couple cups and a World Series and all that success, luckily no Bears success at all. Um, but that it really makes the hatred grow. After that second Blackhawks cup, I was I was thinking I had to move, but the hatred grows, and you, you get a little. You get a little, uh, you know, perk up in your day when you're walking out of the Cubs stadium with all the unhappy fans. Because as much as I have no beef with the Cubs specifically, I know they're just Blackhawks fans wearing blue. So that's where I'm at on that. A couple almost nominees is um, planning girlfriend activities for the Saturday of the bye week like I have on Saturday. Looking like a very good pumpkin picking uh, cooking class kind of thing. Like I think I'll be doing something. Yeah. Make sure you time it up for, for that bye week calls. Um, signing day, I think it's very diehard. Yeah, I was gonna say like just or just reading up on football in like April. <laughs> <laughs> I describe, so I pulled up. I had to stop. Like we ran back. It was early when I was dating Krista. I met her place, and I pull up the pull up the computer to see someone's announcement. I forget who it was. I don't know if it was GP. No, no, I forget. And she's like, "Explain that to me." It was like, "Who won the game?" I'm like, "No." Well, it's a guy who's, who was deciding where to go to school. So, like, oh, so he's a Michigan? Well, like, no, he's actually in a high school kid. He and put us in his top six. <laughs> yeah, he put us in his top six. So you ran home to watch that 17-year-old boy pick where he's going to school? Yes, that's dire. That's exactly what happened. That is. And I ran home to watch all two hours of signing with the stars. <laughs> oh, man. Lots of love. Any uh, any closing thoughts about the where the season is and what we need to do? Yeah, I, I have one real quick. I told you guys uh, before we started recording that after Notre Dame, I was bashing my head against the wall. Um, I told myself, and I didn't think this would be a possibility at the time. I go, the only way after that performance that I'm going to buy back into this team is if they beat Wisconsin, they go into Lansing and win. Yeah. And if they beat Penn State. So I want to say that I'm going to be fully committed to this team and I'm going to buy into everything that they're selling me if they can get it done in two weeks. And uh, I think it's uh, as big as any of the other two games that they've, or the last two games. It's, it's as big 
And uh, I'm just hoping for a good result and that they get the job done and that we don't end up shell-shocked. Yeah, I mean, if you think about where we were after the Notre Dame game, struggling against Northwestern, struggling early against Maryland, giving up touchdowns. Uh, what was the third game? It was no, it was SMU. We were giving up too many points to SMU, and it just looked like, oh, shit, man. That gauntlet is coming. I hope we can win two of them, but we're probably going to win one. And then here we are. Talking about maybe three and in the driver's I, seat. I, I, there's no excuse to lose any of these games. We're never going to be in a better position to take it all. Everyone that before the year is complaining about, oh, you got to go on the road, Michigan State, got to go on the road to go to Ohio State. But you know, at the end of the day, I'd rather go against the. I'd rather go on the road against rivals than have to go at Penn State in a night game or even at Wisconsin because I feel like you're just up. These guys are just up for the games more, and they're just into them more. And they, everyone knows what they mean. And now you've got a chance against Penn State here. If you win this game, that's automatically going to be Harbaugh's best finish in the East at second. And, you know, I didn't watch the Ohio State game, but if they didn't look good, they drop another one. You have, yeah, you probably got to beat Ohio State to get in the playoff, but you pretty much clinched the Big Ten East before you even go into Columbus. If you, and that's our stars. We're I, aiming for the stars, and the stars yeah, is the Big Ten I mean, East for us. And more than We're just trying to get to Indy, boys. Harbaugh, year four, has all of his players. He's got a stud quarterback that can make plays. The defense, the playmakers, the line, the coaching staff is all there. And right on top of Ohio all that, State looks Ohio weak. State, Penn State looks – this is the – there are no excuses to not be in Indy for the Big Ten. There's no – The stars are aligning. There's no Barkley out there. There's no fucking Zeke Elliott. If not, this year when? Yeah, this is, it has to be now. Uh, all right, boys. I appreciate your time. As always, thanks for stopping by the Pure Podcast. We'll try to get back together again. And uh, I'll see you in India. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah. well, no, I'll see you for Thanksgiving, right, Mike? Oh, for sure. Have I missed that tailgate? Are you going to be there? Oh, yeah, I'll be at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Again. All right. Never miss one. All right, take care. Stay diehard. Stay diehard. Stay diehard. Go, Go blue. blue. Go blue. Go blue. Go blue. We want the Big Ten Championship. We're going to win it as a team. They can throw out all those great backs and great quarterbacks and great defensive players throughout the country and in this conference. There's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, team, the team, team, the team, the team. Everything that you do, you take into consideration what effect does it have on my team. Because you can go into professional football, you can go anywhere you want to play after you leave here. You will never play for a team again. You'll play for a contract, you'll play for this, you'll play for that, you'll play for everything except the team. Think what a great thing it is to be a part of something that is a team. Go win it. Win the championship again. We're gonna play as a team, better than anybody else in this conference. We're gonna play together as a team. We're gonna believe in each other. We're not gonna criticize each other. We're not gonna talk about each other. We're gonna encourage each other.
We play as a team. When the old season is over, you and I know. It's going to be Michigan again. It's going to be Michigan again. It's going to be Michigan again.